0: Hey, hi, Hayes, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: And I'm really happy to have you. And I'm even more excited than usual because I don't have Matt Sabatello today. I have my good friend Maria Mooney here. So, Maria, say hi to the folks.
2: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. And I, it, it's a, always a pleasure to fill in and to always have conversations with you in this incredible community. So, appreciate it. I'm happy to hi. be here.
0: Thank you, Mary. We love you more than you know, and it's always exciting because folks really like folks really like to have you as our co-host. Your your episodes always seem to do so well. So I, and, and, and I think there's two elements to that. One is Maria, and one is no Matt. So it's always wonderful to. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm teasing Matt. Since that, I
2: say humor. <laughs> yes,
0: it's, it's, People people from the Northeast understand this, Maria, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully I'm not making it too uncomfortable for the nice North American guest that we have, Heidi from Canada.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and, and talk a little bit about Lyme.
0: So uh, we're going to talk a lot about Lyme, but so let's get there. So <laughs> Heidi, why don't you build out for us first? Uh, where are you calling in from today?
1: Yeah, I'm calling in from Southern Ontario. So I'm in St. Thomas, actually. Um, so it's a couple hours south of Toronto.
0: All right. And so give us some context for where Ontario is relative to New York, for example.
1: Yeah. Um, it's actually quite close to New York, I think. Um, I mean, it's really close to Buffalo, like a couple hours to Buffalo. So um, a little bit further away from like New York City. Um, but yeah, we also border on to Michigan. So I can get to like Michigan or Buffalo pretty easily um, just by like a couple hours drive.
0: So you're uh, northwest of uh, where I am and where Maria grew up. Yes, exactly. All right. So talk to us a little bit about your background. What was it like to uh, grow up in Canada? And did you spend um, all of your youth in uh, Ontario or were you growing up in different parts of Canada?
1: Um, So growing up, I was always in Southern Ontario, um, different cities, like I grew up mostly a little bit closer to Toronto, and then moved to St. Thomas in grade 11, spent grade 11 and 12 um, in St. Thomas. And then right when I graduated high school, that's when I moved actually out west. So I lived um, in Alberta and British Columbia for the majority of my adult life, actually, like I think I moved out there when I was 18, and I moved back two years ago in September. So um, I did like all of my undergraduate studies there, and now I'm back home. Um, and we can talk a little bit about why. It's <laughs> got some foreshadowing, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was a good childhood. I think I've always been like really active i when i was growing up i did competitive dance so i was like doing you know four hours of dance every night i was you know a good student um always kind of involved always had lots of friends never had any health issues literally like i don't even remember needing to go see a doctor ever um which was (laughs) great (laughs) just never having to go I think I would go for a checkup and they'd ask me questions everything was good and then I'd leave so that's kind of all I knew or like the only contact I had with the medical community at that like during my whole um childhood I guess
0: so it sounds like you had a, a, a an enjoyable and privileged childhood uh, where you were a good student, you were a good athlete, you just sort of had a, a, a nice social environment. So talk to us about um, what your vision was for your future when you were about to go to college. What do you want to do? How are you going to change the world?
1: Oh man, well, um, I actually went to college a bit late, so I took a couple years off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Because when I graduated high school, I had no idea. So I thought it would be fun to move out to Jasper, Alberta, and um, and ski. So I moved out there, and it was amazing. Like I made so many wonderful friendships um, and so many amazing experiences, and it kind of introduced me to a whole lifestyle that. I never knew growing up like everybody was just outdoors all the time and like you know the mountains were your backyard so um you were like 30 minutes from the ski hill and there was there was just so much to do like climbing and I kind of was introduced to that world and kind of fell in love with it um so like hiking climbing skiing all of that and Um, I really like I was a waitress for a long time. And eventually, like I just was craving more, like I really was craving to learn. I really wanted to learn, honestly, anything. And my whole family has been entrepreneurial. So like I decided to study business. um, And I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with that. But I was just having like this thirst to learn and this thirst um, to kind of build something with my life and not I wanted to move forward and do something different. So I decided to go to school in Kelowna, BC, because a lot of the folks that I had met in Jasper went to school in Kelowna. And I thought, Oh, maybe, maybe I'll go back to Jasper in the summertime and work as a waitress there and kind of pay for my school because um, I didn't have any support going through school. So like it was all me, you know, I, I didn't and I didn't want to take on student loan debt. So I worked really, really hard. And and that just goes to show of how much energy I had, right? Like I had enough energy to work six days a week till four in the morning and make that the serving money so that I could pay for school, Um And I I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do with my degree, but I was just like excited about learning. And there was a time period where I was like wanting to go to law school and, you know, volunteered at a law firm and realized I didn't want to do that. So (laughs) um, it's just been a journey. And I think going through the experiences I've gone through in the last couple of years have kind of solidified what I'd love to do with my life. And we can kind of get to that later.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, So I I think it's really cool that you ultimately were moving towards becoming an entrepreneur, right? Because an entrepreneur is someone, despite the way the news media characterizes entrepreneurs, an entrepreneur is someone who takes responsibility for solving other people's problems, right? And you wanted to use that skill set as a way of saving the world, right? And you weren't sure exactly where your niche was. and, And I think that's sort of some foreshadowing for some of the things that have come right so so we now have this uber healthy outdoorsy gal who's falling in love with the outdoors falling in love with learning going to college um, in the same environment where she was uh, falling in love with 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 this outdoorsy life Um, and then what happens.
1: Yeah, so I want to say there was not like a distinct moment where like everything fell apart, you know, it wasn't like I found a tick bite and then everything started falling apart, I ac- the, I actually never found the tick I never knew that I got bit. I knew that Lyme disease was um, very dangerous because when I was younger, I, so my family's from Switzerland. When I was younger, we would go to Switzerland on trips. And I remember my grandfather telling me that um, this older gentleman, gentleman from the village that he grew up in had Lyme disease and his like, half of his body was like paralyzed and, and just how much it affected his life. So I knew it was really dangerous. Um, That was the extent of what I knew. And so I'd always do uh, tick checks and like always like, you know, tell everybody like to check themselves for ticks. So I never found a tick, but I did notice that um, my last summer before going away to school, I was so tired, anxious, getting, you know, bladder infections all the time. Like I just didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't handle like drinking alcohol Anymore. Like, I, cause like I would go out with my friends and I couldn't handle it. I would either like get really sick right away or like black out. And I didn't understand what was happening. And I just kept trying to push through and, you know, shrug it off like, oh, this is normal or whatever. Um, always making excuses for my symptoms. And that's kind of how things started to progress. And I think when I moved to school, I just remember when I when I went to school being so grateful that I could sit all day and stu- and read because I didn't have to walk around where like serving I would like walk 50,000 steps in an eight hour shift it was crazy so I was exhausted, especially with like not sleeping properly working till four in the morning, I was so grateful to be able to just sit in a library and read and not have to walk anywhere so I just remember feeling so grateful for that. But I do remember, like I had my first panic attack, I had things were getting weird, and I couldn't figure out why. So.
0: But Heidi, one of the things that, you know, one of the things that's sort of seeming strange to me is you were the young person who had energy to spare, you had energy to burn, right? And now you're now you're starting to suffer from what you now know to be immune dysfunction. And because you were suffering from the, the, at that time, the, 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 the undiagnosed immune dysfunction, um, you started to now suffer from having a lack of energy, right? So you went from one extreme to the other. So when you had those two extremes, although I appreciate, you know, that you are grateful to have an opportunity to sit down and, and, and study, uh, and not have to have the energy to do the kinds of things you were doing, uh, did that trigger you to go see a doctor?
1: You know, I I wanna like describe it as though like I was a frog slowly boiling in a pot of water. Like I didn't notice it was happening to me because I would, I, the only time I went to the doctor was like when I would get these bladder infections that now I know weren't really bladder infections because like after the fifth or sixth time of me going to the walk-in clinic, cause um, just like a side note here, It's, it takes, um, it can take years to get a family doctor in Canada. So like, you don't have a family doctor. So you're going into walk-in clinics, especially as a student who's like studying on the other side of the country, they have no family with them. It's literally just them taking on the world. It's like, you don't have a family doctor and like, good luck getting one. We have a very, very big shortage of doctors in our country and I can talk a little bit as to
0: why that is. Well, but... but Heidi, let's let's talk about that. Because, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast all the time is the failures of the American medical system, right? Mm-hmm. And I've had many young people argue to me that the reason the American medical system has failed them is because we have a private medical system, not a public medical system. And we've interviewed yeah. many guests from Canada, uh, which is considered the, the premier uh, socialist uh, uh, socialized medical system. We've interviewed people from Canada. Uh, I mean, not uh, Israel, which is also considered. Uh, you know, we when we hear about the premier socialized systems, we hear about Canada and Israel, and we've been told by almost every one of the guests we we've, we've interviewed from either country that their system sucks. So if 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 the people in America think that the the, the flaw in the system is that we we have a privatized system. Talk to me about whether or not the Canadian system really is a better alternative.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's the narrative um, that Canadian healthcare is so great. It's quote unquote free. Um, What I've learned is that nothing is free in this world. You really do get what you pay for. And um, I know that the American healthcare system is not perfect. There's no perfect system, right? But I would argue that it is better in a lot of ways, I would say that with, with socialism, you have a lack of choice, right? And when there's regulation, like there's, there's only so much money that can go into, to fund this healthcare system. And I would even go as far as saying that it's really falling apart right now with like, you know, with the, where, the the state of our economy right now and like going through COVID and that kind of thing, like there's not that much propping it up. So how I would say is like, if you're a healthy person and you are not relatively complex, you're not a complex individual, you don't have a complex chronic illness, um you're fine like if all you need is birth control or you need to get like i don't know like a checkup done or you know you're you're not really a complicated case hey canada's healthcare is great then if you're sick in any way you are not gonna get the best care you're not even going to have the option to pay for the best care you don't even have the option to pay for the labs that you want right because every doctor is controlled so if doctors If you ask a doctor, I mean, I went into my doctor's office with a list of labs and I said, hey, can you run these? And they're like, I'll lose my license if I run this many labs. (laughs) Because they're controlled on like how many labs they're allowed to order and what labs they're allowed to order based on their specialty. And there's just so many rules around that. And I feel like in Canada, like if you don't like your family doctor or if you don't like your rheumatologist or whoever, you are not getting another one. Like you are stuck with that person. You are not able to get another one. In the States, if you don't like your family doctor, you can fire them. You can fire them and you can go get another one. You can go choose who you want to work with. And I think like that is how the world should be. Like if you're not doing a good job, you should be fired for not doing a good job, right? So um, I think in a way it's not the doctor's fault. Like they are, you know, graduated from medical school. They're what $200,000 in debt. And then they are, um, threatened with their license being taken away. Of course, like I would be in the same boat. I wouldn't want to lose my license after paying and investing that much effort and time. And, So I get it. Um, I don't think it's their fault, but it's just how the system is set up. And, you know, I've had to go to the United States to, and paid, I paid $15,000 in labs out of pocket. Those are not boutique labs. Those are lab core labs, like Mm -hmm. not fancy labs. And, you know, I have friends who have gone to get the exact same labs and maybe they had, you know, a $500 copay or something like that. But, um, Nothing as close to what I had to pay.
0: So, Heidi, I'm asking the question not because I'm I'm looking to wave the American flag, because the American medical system fails people with Lyme disease at the same rate that the Canadian and the Israeli and the and every European system does. So, it's really not so much how the how the medical care is paid for that's the problem. It's really what the goal of the system is, right? And really, what we have in Canada and what we have in the U.S. and what we have. You know in in most um, most um, countries is an acute care system, right? if If you have an acute illness, the acute yeah. illness is something that the Western medical system treats really well. Break your leg, need surgery, you'll get it, and you'll be fine.
2: Right. But yeah. anyone
0: who's chronically ill, and I don't care what the chronic illness is, Lyme just being one of the many, Um, every system fails. And the reason it fails is because the system is not designed, at least the Western medical system is not designed to treat people with chronic illness. At at least that's a conclusion I've come to after doing this podcast for the last several years. Give me your thoughts on that, Heidi.
1: Yeah, um, that is definitely like an overall failure in our system. There's no preventative care. There's no emphasis on preventative care and there's no, um, there's no great care within the mainstream medical system for chronic illnesses or even bio individual treatment. But I would go a step further in in this comparison and say that um, in Canada, you the government really doesn't like doctors going off out of our we call it OHIP. That's the insurance in in Ontario for everyone, you get everyone gets the same insurance. And um, they really, really put a lot of red tape in place for doctors to go out of that charge out of pocket and do your own thing, right? In the States, I mean, we we all know there's like tons of LLMDs all over the country, and they are not like persecuted in the same way. Um, they are, but not as much as in Canada. So you can go, you can find the doctors and pay out of pocket if you have the means, at least you have the option. That's all I'm saying is in the big difference. Yeah. At least you have the option to do so in the United States and Canada, you don't even have the option. So folks are really left with almost nothing.
0: And that is important, Heidi, because really what we've, what we've discovered here on this podcast is... The people who are successful in using Western medicine as a tool for overcoming their chronic illness have to step out of the system. And almost every single LLMD that we've interviewed in this podcast and we've represented s- scores of them, um, yeah. they, they're all private pay. They don't take insurance. Right. and 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 that's really one of the challenges that we have here. But again, it could be worse. You could live in Canada and not not even be allowed to step out of the system without actually leaving the country, right? So um, as bad as our system is, and it sucks, it's certainly much better than having the Canadian system where you can't even step out of the system and get the treatment, right? And and, and of course, one of the challenges of any third party paying system, whether it be the American system where you're using insurance or the Canadian system where you have a socialized uh, medical system, is that the people who pay are going to control what the doctors are going to do right? And what we need when we have chronic illnesses is we need somebody who can spend time with us to learn enough about what our challenges are and come up with a treatment plan that meets a very bio-individualized, um, you know, uh, not only person, but of course, a, a, a very different set of permutations of the bugs that have spit into us when, when we get a tick bite, or we get several tick bites, and how that sort of combination of being a bio individual and then having a diversity of a different type of and and combination of germs being spit into us makes Mm -hmm. it very complex right and one of the first questions that my my general co-host Matt would ask folks is when they go to an LLMD what is the difference and generally what we hear is my LLMD listened to me and my Lyme literate medical doctor spent three hours or four hours with me on the first Uh, on the first consultation uh, um, as opposed to 15 minutes, right? So, um, you know, we really need to have a different system in place so that chronically ill people are treated one way and acutely ill people are treated differently. At least that's one of the things that, that I'd argue to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that's just like the broad strokes. But there's also like a real like if you get really granular with it, and you go see specialists like they are, I don't know what infectious disease doctors are doing. But I don't know what they're working on, actually, like no. what do you do, because here. there's an epidemic going on. And they have, and I'll like, I bring them like lab core FDA approved labs, positive Rocky Mountain spotted fever, positive, this positive, and they're just like, Oh, this means nothing. So I don't know what they're working on. I don't know what they're taught in medical school. I don't know like what the agenda is, but it's it's like laughable. Like it really is. It's it's just. Um, I, I still haven't figured that one out. So.
0: <laughs> so let, let's let's come back to Heidi uh, the frog in the hot water. And now it's getting hotter and it's getting hotter and it's getting hotter. But Heidi doesn't know about it because she's, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's the fish who's in water asking what is water. So how is that developing for you? And how are you getting sicker and sicker? Um, first, give us more of your symptomology and talk to us about how it's affecting your life, because you have already built out for us that the athlete and the outdoors person is now not an athlete and not an outdoors person. She's stuck in a library reading books, but still grateful yeah. to have have the opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, I actually got, I actually be, became really depressed. So um, I didn't know why, but I just like noticed that my life was becoming to suck more and more. I was just like, why does life suck so much? Like it was so fun. And I thought, it must be school, because everything kind of started when I started school. And I don't know, I just I was trying to figure it out. But I also didn't have time to really think about it too much because all of the energy that I did have was going towards doing really well in school. I became very obsessed with like, getting good grades. That was I became crazy obsessed over the that. Maybe that's a symptom, maybe not. But um, like it is to me. Yeah, it, like I will raise them, I guess, Yeah, uh, just same. And I think a lot of people who get Lyme are like type A personalities. I don't know. Yeah, okay. So same. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's a thing. Um and that was very important to me. And so all my energy was going towards being a great student and performing very well. So that was everything to me. Um but I was becoming very depressed. And I remember I went back to Jasper after my first summer or sorry, after my first year of school and I worked myself so hard, like so hard. I worked so many days in a row, like, and just, you know, working sometimes 12 hour shifts. It was crazy. Um, and I was exhausted and actually, I don't, I hope this is not too much information, but when I went So I worked like and then went back to school like I moved the day before classes started I didn't have a break I worked straight up to that point and then I had another job lined up for when I got to Kelowna. So I was very anxious about money I was like so anxious about money so anxious about getting perfect grades being a complete control freak about everything um. And it was just like too much. And that's when I had my first like suicidal attempt and I ended up in the hospital. But it still would take uh, a few years to really connect the dots that this was Lyme because it was so out of character. It was so not me. Um, And my dad came all the way from Ontario to pick me up and bring me home. And You know, my parents, like my whole family was just like, what's going on, right? Because they're not, they're not with me. They're not seeing me day to day. I didn't have like any support at all uh, while I was out there. And when I came home, I slept for like, I slept for like a week straight. And then as soon as I like got a little bit of energy, I was like, oh my God, I need to go back to school. I need to keep, like, I'm, I'm losing time. Like, And I enrolled in a semester um, at the school here. And then after a semester of the school here, I ended up going back to my original school to finish. So it was just crazy. Like it was, it was so manic. Now looking back, I was so manic and just trying to achieve my goals, but I felt like I was walking through quicksand, you know, to get there.
0: So let's build this out a little bit, Heidi. So uh, and I want to I want to segregate the physical symptoms from the emotional symptoms just for the moment. I I think we have to merge them. But yeah. So um, what were your physical symptoms and were you going to doctors to seek treatment for your physical symptoms?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like. I, looking back now, like I kicked myself, but I wasn't like, I was not going to doctors. I, I did go to a doctor when I came home after that episode because my parents brought me, but like, they were completely useless. Like they gave me an SSRI. That's it. So great. Like you committed suicide. Here's an SSRI. Thanks. Um, so, or tried to, sorry. Um,
0: so let's stay with that for a second. Hi, I do have some. Yeah. I have some questions about that before you, Before the 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 mental health professional uh, prescribed you the medication. Yeah. Did, did the mental health professional put you through a, a a a battery of physiological diagnostic tests to see if if the mental health challenges were connected to a um, a physiological issue?
1: Of course not. Of course not right like they don't they don't practice that way so and i wasn't wise enough and i was you know i was so obsessed about money so the thought about trying to go see a naturopath didn't even enter my mind so well,
0: and also I, I think you have to be fair to yourself you were sick you, you were yeah. sick right so so you know but it, i it, didn't
1: it, know it right like i didn't realize that i was sick i was right. sick and looking back now i can identify how sick i was But at the time, I I thought there's no way that I like that thought never even entered my mind because I was so healthy my whole life. So the thought that I could be chronically sick was like, never entered my mind.
0: Right, and, and again, the, I I really like your your metaphor, which is you were the frog in the in the boiling water, right? I mean, it hadn't boiled yet, hadn't boiled over yet, but it was getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and yeah. you just didn't realize it because you were you were adjusting to your environment.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: So let let's now talk about the mental health professionals, right? So, um, you know, we we, we now know, uh, you know, with the benefit of 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 hindsight that you had bugs in your brain and you had bugs in your body and you you were you were also you know living a very different life as a result of as a result of having this contrast of first having energy to burn and then not having enough energy to do anything right and because you have that anxiety you are now working your tail off with various jobs Um, you know, working long hours and making the, you know, I mean, I could just see you spinning around and spinning around and spinning around and getting worse and worse and worse as you're, you know, as, as you're, you're declining. Right. Um, So give us more insight into what the mental health symptoms were. You said that you were obsessed with uh, with almost everything. Right. So it sounds like compulsion was a part of your, your mental health challenges um, with you were obsessed with money. You're obsessed with grades Um, you were just, you were just, you you were very, very, again, I don't want to diagnose, but OCD about everything, right? What else, what other, what other mental health symptoms did you have? um, You know, were you, were you, were you suffering from, from, you know, grief? Were you in the grief cycle because of- Uh, Not yet. I'm sorry? Not,
1: Not yet at that time, because I, I'm the, I'm really a type of person that I don't take on a victim mentality. Like, I really don't. I'm really like, okay, like, let's just fix the problem and move on. So I didn't really go through a grief cycle yet. And it's coming because things get so much worse. But um, I was depressed because I felt like something was wrong with me. I thought it was me. And I was, you know, just not enough. That was like a big like theme running through my mind of like I was not enough and so it was depression and like some non-di I wasn't diagnosed with it but like OCD um and yeah it just didn't really make sense because I never had issues like that growing up um but there was like always these weird things that would happen you know like I got in a car accident which was like very weird and For me, and like I haven't gotten in a car accident since then, um, but I just remember like being out of it, like not being able to focus on many things, um, not being able to remember, uh, like being a server, you have to remember so many things, so many people's orders, you have eight tables at a time, whatever, not being able to. So I, I noticed like I wasn't able to remember those things I remember being very frustrated I remember like having to bring these kegs down into the basement of um the keg room and I couldn't I literally couldn't lift the kegs and walk down the stairs and I just like you know I just couldn't do it and I had to tell my boss like I can't do it and it was just a lot of frustration and a lot of like confusion frustration just it was just not a good time and like I would act in ways that were so out of character. Like,
2: you know, like what?
0: Give me, give me an example.
1: Like if I were to drink, I would get so overly emotional and like not. I just couldn't like I, I just stopped drinking a few years ago and like never I'll never drink again um, just because it makes me feel so sick. And so and yeah, I just like couldn't handle anything um, very like obsessive like I would kind of obsess over something and I wouldn't be able to stop talking about it um yeah it was just very strange I just noticed that I wasn't acting like myself and like I think other people noticed it too and like looking back it's kind of embarrassing but I know now that like that was not who I am like I'm not I wouldn't have acted that way if if I didn't have Lyme disease you know
0: for sure for sure like there's no doubt about it you know and we we can those of us who have been in this community recognize all those symptoms very easily, right? I mean, you know, Lyme, Lyme disease, uh, our friend Phyllis Bedford calls Lyme disease the, the supermarket um, uh, disease because you're more likely to be diagnosed in the supermarket than you are if you go to the doctor's office, because people who are on the journey can see it very clearly. But unfortunately medical professionals are not trained to see the symptomology or they want to put on the blinders because they don't want to deal with the consequences of making these diagnoses, right? Right. It's so so,
2: true.
0: so give us give us a little more detail about how things progressed right i mean you're you're, yeah. you're in a bad place right so you you had the suicidal ideations and the suicide attempt you you go back home and you're living with your parents you you don't have a good experience with it, with the doctors you're treating they're giving you um they're, they're giving you some uh psychiatric medications um are things getting which did better?
1: nothing by
0: the way <laughs> well of course not because you know it's it's not going to help the bugs in your brain um, yeah. so, so talk about how things are either getting better or better, or getting worse at this stage in your journey.
1: Yeah. So, um, I want to say like things got a bit better for a little while. So I moved back to Kelowna to finish school and, um, things were like pretty okay. Not great by any means. Um, but like, okay for a semester, And I remember COVID hit and I was like so grateful when COVID hit because I was like, oh my gosh, I get to have a break. Like I was so tired that when COVID hit and we all got to like do our classes from home and like sit at home and like not do too much and I didn't have to work. And like I was it's like the world was giving me a free pass to just rest because I wouldn't give it to myself. Um and I know that's probably like a strange reaction cuz most people were freaking out and I'm like oh thank god like this is the just like the best thing ever and I moved to the island um Vancouver Island to live with a friend of mine and it was like just the best summer ever it was so beautiful I loved it there during covid you could still go surfing you could go hiking you could go trail running like it was it was like we were just having adventures all the time and we were still socially distanced because we were out in the woods um, just having fun, you know, and um, I definitely noticed I was still manic and I definitely noticed, like, I think, so the island is um, a rainforest technically, so it's very moldy and I think, and mold and lime don't go well together, (laughs) you know, when your immune system is dysregulated. And you add mold into the picture; it's like the perfect storm. So oh. things got weird. Um, I kept going. kept I want. I want to like kind of fast forward because so much like is not that interesting for a while. But th- things just progress the same way. Just weird, exhausted, not enjoying life, not able to like do what I would normally be able to do. So anyway, um, I at this point, I'm like doing a co-op and I'm back in Kelowna doing an accounting co-op and like just super manic, like not being able to focus, freaking out about how like I didn't like the job and just all these things. And I thought, you know what? I love surfing. I, when I was traveling, I fell in love with surfing when I was in Bali. And I thought, you know what? I think if I just you know, move to the island and just like work, you know, work into Fino, which is like a surf town, then I'll feel better. Like, I I think if I just go do what I love, I'll feel better. It's because I thought it was school. Like I thought school was stressing me out so much that I was getting sick from school. So I thought I'm just going to go do what I love. And like, you can just imagine like living in a staff accommodation in a surf town with a wetsuit room in the house and, yeah, like, it was a recipe for disaster. Um, I can't believe I made it through the summer. Not very well. It was also the most physically demanding job I've had in my life. Like, you know, pulling 200-pound men on surfboards, trying to get them into a wave for mm-hmm. eight hours a day. Um, it was so physically demanding, and I had to push myself even further, so I had like a waitressing job on my days off. I had zero days off the whole summer. So when the fall hit, um they moved me to the basement apartment. I cleaned the apartment because the girls didn't clean it very well, and within a week, I was literally like my life flipped like within that week my life completely turned upside down and I knew I like as soon as I had my first like muscles twitching I was like oh oh this is like real this is like actually <laughs> something crazy going on this is not just in my head I'm not crazy and I remember I went to the hos- little hospital in Tofino like five times and then I remember this doctor put his hand on my leg and he was like you know i know what's wrong with you you just need to see a psychiatrist and i was just like i was like really like because i believed him because i thought oh my god maybe i am going crazy like i felt crazy like my brain wasn't working i had vertigo like i was like yeah maybe i am crazy maybe i'm you know experiencing something that's not real so I, anyway it was just insane and i called my mom and I said, mom, I need to come home. And she flew me home. I had, I left all my stuff there. I had like a one bag of stuff. And that's when the circus began. That is when everything began. That's when like the search began. I was like on a mission from that point forward.
0: All right, so so, um mom comes to intervene again yeah, and you um, and, can
1: imagine like my family is so sick of me. Like I don't want to say sick of me, but it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? They didn't believe me actually for, well, for and, and, while.
0: and and Heidi, it's one of the things that we consistently see on this podcast, and that is that, you know, because you don't look sil- sick and and mm-hmm. and because you don't look sick and and um, you know, we don't have doctors who can diagnose us, and we don't have a particularly enlightened, um community of people who are practicing in the psychiatric and psychological arena, right they they don't they don't recognize, for example, the way Dr. Leo Shea, um, who was one of our guests on this podcast, argue that every single emotional symptom or psychiatric or psychological symptom is physiologically based. You just have to find the connection, right? So you know we we, we you have this really ugly formula of 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 failure around you in the healthcare care and the mental health care system and now you're home right your mom takes you home and she's um and she's putting you in a position where you now have a break from the life the the sort of the obsessive life that you were living and you're now given an opportunity to try to figure out what's wrong with you so what do you do next
1: yeah and I, it was like I was in panic, like my whole nervous system was in panic for a year, starting from that week to like, only not so long ago, right? So um, yeah, it all started, you know, I thought I thought I would go to my family doctor first, obviously, like they are not helpful at all. They, they suck. Um, Then I started researching. And I remember like, it was like, all of these memories were kind of like fit fitting together like a puzzle so um when i first googled my symptoms the two things that came up were multiple sclerosis and lyme disease so i was like okay um i was like okay i need to get an mri to rule out ms but i was like i don't think this is like i was just trying to make sense of it and um I remember my family doctor actually referred me to this doctor. His name is, I forget. I forget his name because he wasn't helpful. So I just forgot it. But um, anyway, there's this one guy in Southern Ontario in Strathroy, and he's basically just like not he's within the system. So, but he's practicing. I I don't agree with like what he's doing. He's just giving people like as much antibiotics as they need with, without anything else, just like giving loads and loads and loads of antibiotics without doing a ton, like without doing enough labs, without doing anything, without giving anything um, supportive, literally nothing. So and i knew like i started like you said you you said earlier to me um off record you said that you know you learn more from like the people that have gone through it than reading these books and these doctors and and um i would agree with you to a point i did order some books that really really changed the game for me so um The first one was Chronic by Dr. Stephen Phillips and the other one was Break the Mold by Dr. Jill Krista because somebody had mentioned to my mom like you got to look into mold and that was I I was like what mold can't make you sick like that's like you never hear about that you know growing up nobody talks about mold. So um, those were the two books that I read and they were really helpful but you know I felt this despair because I was like, oh my gosh, like there's no doctors like this in Canada. Like, what am I going to do? So, well, honey, um, let me
0: let me let me ask you to take a pause for a second. Maria's gonna sort of take you through the next portion of the journey, but sure. uh, I want to walk you back to the the um the Google uh results that you that you received when you were you were searching your symptoms and it comes up MS or line, right? Yeah um what was your what was your emotional reaction to having one of those two diseases? Um, were you more fearful of the possibility of MS than you are of Lyme? Um, and did one of these diseases or the other speak more to you as you were looking at the two of them and uh, and, um, you know, considering uh, having one or the other as a diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I. Um it was terrifying (laughs) like either way it was terrifying um i thought my life was over you know and i think Lyme spoke to me more because when i first moved into that house i was feeling sick for about two weeks and i was messaging with one of my friends sisters who's now another friend of mine um and she is a holistic nutritionist so i was just telling her like I'm feeling weird. I feel like my nerves are on fire. Like that's what I said. And she said, I think you have Lyme. And I just like, I was like, "Hmm, maybe. And I just, and then I started feeling better when the sun came out and you know, summer started like happening. And so I kind of dismissed it. Oh, and I I actually did go to the doctor in Tofino. I asked them to test me for like mono Mm -hmm. and she called me and it came back negative. And I said, hey, like my friend said I could have Lyme. And the doctor in Tofino said, I wouldn't go there. Lyme is really controversial. So that was like the first weird thing that happened. There was so many weird, when you have Lyme, it's like so many weird things happen to you. So like, it's the weirdest journey ever. I don't understand why people are so weird about it. It's not...
2: Like Heidi, my story, I must say, I find so much similarity in our stories, especially nervous system on fire and that type a, and a little bit of OCD and just not feeling like you're being yourself down to suicidal ideation. So now you are confronted with, I may have Lyme or I may have MS and you're confronted with doctors over and over again, who are telling you don't go there. It, probably psychiatric. How then did you bridge that gap between being told, you know, don't go there. And it most likely is something that you're doing wrong, something psychiatric, blaming it back on you to, you know, I have Lyme and I have mold now, and now I have to start this journey. So how did you, mm.
1: it how was did you move really in awesome. that
2: direction?
1: Sure. Yeah. Like it was, it was really messy. You know, I was reaching out to everybody that I could, I was like, that was my job, you know, that turned into my job. I was talking, I like interviewed hundreds of people who had Lyme disease. I was trying to figure out, okay, what works, what doesn't work? What is like the, the theme here of people with Lyme? And I, realized all the similarities with all of our stories there were so many it was like a different flavor every single one but it was so similar every single story was so similar and i was like okay um i just needed to get answers so it was very messy the way i started to gather information and put the pieces of the puzzle together but i saw a naturopath who did a Western blot with Igenix and it came back with two bands and she said, okay, like this, this is positive. That's what she said. Um, And I, I didn't really get like a great amount of help from her. She like put me on her protocol for Lyme, but like didn't test me for mold, didn't look into it. So I had a very big hunch that mold was the problem. It made sense. I was in like one of the moldiest, areas in the world probably so um and mind you like this is over um an eight month period of all like just putting the pieces together and trying, mine and like spending money and
2: whatever so um then Wait, I money, ordered spending money yeah
1: yeah spending money and just like talking to a million people reading a million books I figured out very quickly okay nobody in the Healthcare system is going to help you. You need to help yourself. You, you need, need to become be an doctor. expert. Exactly. You need to be your own doctor. You need to figure all this out. So you need to start reading and you need to start learning what labs mean and you need to start putting the pieces together. So I ordered my first urine mycotoxin test and my OTA was like through
2: the roof. Like it was it was really bad. And that so for people who are listening, that means that, that mold the test came back that you were positive for mold yeah. toxin. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. That's so the urine mycotoxin tests will, they will basically measure what you're excreting from your body. So I was excreting a lot of ochratoxin A, which is nephrotoxic, neurotoxic, um, carcinogenic, like it's just really, really harmful, which is why I was having tremors and muscle twitches and um, couldn't see well. And like, you know, had all of these very, very scary ALS type symptoms, muscle weakness, all that. So um, with that information, and you know, my family still didn't believe me, like I was suffering so bad but they weren't listening to me and they didn't believe me. And I just felt completely alone. And when I first got my mom on board is like, I looked at her and I was like, Hey, it would mean a lot to me if you read this book, it was the book toxic by Dr. Neil Nathan. And, you know, he describes a patient with, vibrations going down her spine and I would tell my mom mom I'm having vibrations down my spine he described somebody that sounded exactly what I was saying so she really like started to believe me at that point and I was so desperate my parents house was very old and it was moldy as well so that whole time I was still living in mold and I knew like okay like the first thing I need to do is get out of mold like that's the like the no Lyme treatment is going to work unless I get out of mold. So no. I ended up living like I, it I felt like I was imposing so badly but I, I ended up living with one of my friends parents because all my friends were in BC I didn't have any friends left on the east coast to ask for like a favor right, right. and
2: that adds to that loneliness factor that you're already oh, feeling you're yeah. surrounded by people but at the same time you're alone
1: oh yeah and- I love I lost everything I lost all my belongings I lost all my friends my community like it's so isolating having Lyme and everybody knows that
2: so um, you are starting basically feeling like you're starting from scratch here you are you're you're alone, but now you've got your mom on board. You've got this test back that's telling yeah. you that most likely you have mold toxin and Lyme. How mm-hmm. did you feel when you when you got that possible diagnosis back and having your mom on board at the same time? Did that sort of bridge the gap between you feeling like you had no idea how to get better and you wanted to find out what was going on and you needed. You needed some, something to send you in a direction so that you could try to heal yourself. Was that moment for you a relief? Because with a lot of Lyme patients, I hear, and for me, myself, knowing that I was very sick and even in a terminal state, I was very happy to find that diagnosis because I knew now I could start a plan, being very goal-oriented. Did you have that? Same feeling, or was there another moment where there was a bit of grief and, and despair, and trying and understanding that this is what where what your life was now, and where you wanted to be was a bit of a gap.
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah. When I first got the diagnosis of Lyme, I was in a way kind of happy because I was like, "Oh my God, this is not me. Like, I'm not crazy." This is actually an infection. And when Dr. Stephen Phillips was explaining that there's over four hundred academic papers, linking psychiatric symptoms to Lyme bacteria I was just like okay this is totally not me like this the past few years have not been my true nature and personality so there was that but I was suffering so bad and I was so afraid of like trusting anyone I did not trust anyone um because I listened to everybody's stories and like everybody going to see these terrible doctors that would literally make things worse so it was still very scary and i was living with my friend's parents who like i felt i felt really bad for like being in their space and but i had no choice like a
2: burden but at the same time you are suffering and it's just adding on this a second layer of suffering
1: yeah and i didn't realize like how badly i needed antifungals so um so this this is is a good place to ask
2: sorry to interrupt that yeah. kind of go toward well now that you're here what kind of treatments were you receiving or how did you begin sort of that journey because you now you, now you know you need to be on antifungals so how did that treatment journey yeah. begin
1: so like I said I was terrified and didn't trust anyone so um I when I did like all of my interviews the people that I would interview that actually were fully better. Like I would interview people, they'd be like, oh, I'm better, but I get like, you know, arthritis in my elbow still, or, oh, I'm better, but I get staph infections on my face all the time. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's not better. Right. Right. And so, um, the people that I interviewed that were fully better, like they did not have anything. They were healthier now than they were before were the people that did B venom therapy. And that's, and I was like, OK. And I looked into it and I looked at the research and I talked to all these people that, you know, were on their deathbeds and then went from that to like thriving. And I was like, OK. Um, and I actually tried to be venom therapy for like five months, but it it wasn't working because I had like too much mold going on, that, like nothing right. was going to work. No Lyme treatment was going to work because I had too much mold in my system.
2: So it. uh, which it's is,
1: yeah, it's like the mold is like too immunosuppressive for any like antibiotic to work or like anything to hit the Lyme and co-infections. So, um, and I didn't know, like, I'm figuring this all out slowly and putting the pieces of, of the puzzle together. So I thought, okay, I'm going to join the heel hive And kind of learn from them and so I joined and that was like my saving grace like I thought oh my god this is gonna make me better like this like I I don't know why but I just put so much like trust into that system and I joined I found this clinic it was like you know a gift from God because they they're not like widely known but um my mom's friend was actually on an airplane uh, from Tofino and she sat beside this woman and this woman was like, oh, I have Lyme. And so she gave her recommendations of doctors that helped her. And she told her about the Ven-, Ven Med Clinic in Toronto. And they are amazing. They are like a private clinic, so it is out of pocket, but they will like do what they can to get some stuff covered by our insurance, which is really nice of them. And they were amazing at getting me the resources that I need. They were willing to listen to me and work with me because I wanted my treatment to go a certain way. I really wanted to do things in accordance with Dr. Neil Nathan and Dr. Jill Krista. I really trusted them. Um, And so I'm going on this journey where I'm, like, getting treatment from the VenMed. They give me, like, my first, like, Antifungal nasal spray and get me on like you know supportive therapies and um, supportive um, vitamins and I kind of put my own vitamin regimen together and my friend who's the holistic nutritionist helped me like get access to vitamins at um, a discount which was really nice of her and so I like I had like my spreadsheet I had like you know my whole protocol set up I was like on a mission but I was getting worse because I wasn't having like hard enough antifungals. And so,
2: so you're, so you're doing all this amazing supportive therapy for your immune system, for your, for your total health, for your total wellness. But at the same time, you're still getting worse because, or at least staying the same Mm -hmm. while putting all this effort, because you have the mold that is complicating everything. Yeah. so did you did you do antibiotics? Did you do herbs, antifungals? How was how were you treating the mold? And then how did you get from treating the mold to them being able to look at the lime or is that something that you're still working toward?
1: Yeah, I'm still working towards the lime because the mold has been a beast. So I'll get I'll get into that. Um yeah, so there's like so much to unpack because with Lyme,
2: everything is so just so Every much. detail matters. It does. In the story, every detail really connects you to the next bridge, to the next moment, you know,
1: it really does. And, and mind you, I was working, like I got an internship at Shopify because I knew that I needed to work to pay for this treatment because my parents were not going to pay for it. And I knew I needed to work from home because I was too sick to go anywhere. So I got this like remote internship and I was like, like, not. I wasn't, I shouldn't have been there. Right. Like I'm like on calls and my neck is like twitching, like the muscles in my neck are twitching and I'm freaking out thinking I'm, I have ALS. And like, it was just the, like I was in terror every moment of my life. Like it was terror. And I did not um, that one doctor in Strathroy gave me like, He wanted me to take three different antibiotics at the same time. But I, my intuition knew that I shouldn't because the mold that colonized my gut was making its own antibiotics. And it was like, I could literally feel it in my gut, killing off all my good bacteria. I could feel, I had like gastroparesis where your gut literally doesn't move anymore because the mycotoxins are, are essentially poisoning the nerves in your gut lining. So I had that going on and I knew
2: very, about- difficult, very, very difficult to have because here yeah. you were also trying to it, trying to boost your immune system. And now you have an issue where your gut is involved and in a big way. So right. now you're coming up against this as well as the mold and treating all these things at the same time.
1: Yeah. And We all know that 60% of your immune system is in your gut, right? So um, as soon as I moved, like um, the folks I was living with, like it was time for me to leave. So I found a low mold apartment and I moved in and I started using the antifungal nasal spray the first day that I moved in and black mucus started coming out of my
2: sinuses. And I was that is, that is a wild symptom, but I do yeah. feel like people out here listening are going to say like, Oh my God, that's me. So, yeah. so the, so you start this, this antifungal and when you start it, you think, "Great, right, you're going to start to get better. And all of a sudden you've got this black mucus coming out. So now, so now what happens?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think my doctors were trying to go slowly because you never know who's going to be a very sensitive patient or not which I wasn't like, I I can handle, like you can throw all the drugs at me, I can handle it. Thank God I didn't have like MCAS or anything, but I think the antifungals were starting to get in there and it like started getting stuff out. I brought the mucus to the emergency room. They didn't do anything for me. I brought it to um, an infectious disease doctor who was literally literally acted as though it wasn't even there. Um, and I've these professionals
2: with black mucus Yeah, and they're actually looking at you like, okay. And yeah. Um, that that must've made you feel another type of way because you're like, this is now a symptom that Mm -hmm. you can see. I'm bringing it to you and I'm still not getting the help that I need.
1: I was so angry, but. I just don't expect anything from them anymore. I don't even know what they do for a living, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, yeah, they're like drug technicians. They don't. And and also, like, why wouldn't you just give me antifungals? Because if you love giving out drugs, but it's because we don't have that many antifungals. So they don't want to overuse them. Anyway, so I was so much worse. Like, I've been in the heel hive for, like, almost a year now. It's not, I'm not getting better. I'm doing everything asked of me I'm making the low histamine diet and like doing everything I'm doing literally like trying my hardest and not getting better and I was working and I got this email from Dr. Jill Krista that she was doing um just like a and a a live Q&A which she n- doesn't normally do so sh- it was her first one and I like signed up immediately and Um, got on there and I was able to ask my question and she was I was like do you ever see this like do you ever see any black mucus and like chronic fungal sinusitis and she was like yes I do but you need to go see Dr. Donald Dennis in Atlanta like nobody's going to help you with this except for Dr. Dennis. So
2: so you're in Canada and now you're being told you have to go see a doctor in the states in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah and And I was
1: like how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? Like,
2: and this spirit with your, with your fighting spirit, I imagining the next part of the story is you, you, you figured it out and you did get down there. How did that happen?
1: Oh yeah. It was crazy. Um, so I called right before Christmas and I was like crying because I was so emotionally at my like at the end like I wanted to die so bad I was like sorry I'm getting emotional because (laughs) I wanted to die so bad like but I didn't want to I was never gonna do it because of my family and like how much they'd held me up to this point but I did like I was we have this program in Canada called MAID which is like medical assistance in dying and um because they weren't helping me and I didn't know what to do and I was trying I saw an ent with about the black mucus he didn't do anything I saw an in infe- like I told you I went to every everyone I could think of nobody was helping me and so um I thought man maybe I have to do this made program I was like like just fighting that idea like trying not to give in to that idea but, I thought that's what it's like in Canada, right? Like they would rather give you medical assistance in dying and kill you than give you treatment. That is what it's like here. Okay.
2: Um, so, and I and I and I appreciate you so much, and I know that the like, boot camp family does too. Talking about something like this and destigmatizing it because I know so many people, if not all, with 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 complicated Lyme and co-infections, including myself had the same thoughts Uh, saying for years, years on end conversations with family, wondering, is there a way that I can sign a DNR here? They call it or a DNH, do not hospitalize, do not resuscitate. Thinking of ways of how I don't want to die, but I also don't want to suffer. I just want to end the suffering and it's a, and it's a, It's a sad testament to how dying seems like the only way that a Lyme patient or a Lyme sufferer can find peace or an answer. So, so, so you're, so you're in this space now where there's so much happening, you know, you have to get to Atlanta to start this treatment And you're also considering, you know, this may be something terminal. This may, may end my life. How did you get that next push to to push you to, to further your journey and to go ahead and give something else to try without knowing whether or not it was going to help like in the past?
1: Yeah. Um, so I knew that I needed to go see Dr. Dennis. Like, I just knew that this was like what I needed at this moment in my journey. And I knew it was going to help me so much. Um, But I didn't know how I was going to do it or how I was going to pay for it. So I just remember like being in the car with my mom and I told my mom, like, mom, I need to go see Dr. Dennis. I don't care how much it costs. Like I'll put it on my credit card. I don't care. I just need to go see him. And I so I my friend started to go fund me for me and that was really like she did it with me and I was so embarrassed to do that to, to like be vulnerable and ask for help but we were able to raise quite a bit of money and then my church gave me like a good amount of money I think God was like really really working in my life at that time because I remember I my mom's in the band at church, and I remember I went to watch her and like this guy I'm so emotional now. Sorry. It's, um
2: it's part of what we go through.
1: Yeah. So he asked me, like, are you okay? And I just started bawling, like, you know. And um there's yeah. a
2: lot of trauma associated yeah. with what it's we
1: crazy. It's so crazy. So um I just told him what I was kind of facing and like they ended up donating a lot of money to, um, to me being able to get the surgery, which was really nice.
2: And then my, um, surgery, my- can I back up and ask which surgery this was? So is this in Atlanta? Oh, What's- Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, know it's, 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 there's so much and every detail is so, so important and it's swirling in your head. So. So your church helps you, which is so divine intervention, and so beautiful, wow. and it's just a testament to community. So they're yeah. able to get you to Atlanta to now have a surgery. Can you explain what that what that means? Yeah.
1: So when I called Doctor Dennis's office, they sent me like all of this material to kind of go over, and it was actually a lot of videos of what he does. So he does this surgery for people that need it, and um because he sees like the worst of the worst mold cases, right? And mold like always enters your sinuses before it enters the rest of your body. That's like the first point of contact. So he does this surgery where he goes in and opens every single sinus, cleans everything out, and then essentially like power washes the sinus with amphotericin. And at the same time, it sucks out the mycotoxins and the debris while spraying this, really, really highly effective um, antifungal into these cavities. So I knew that like, I was going to need this surgery. I knew it before I saw, I saw uh, a photo of my CT scan when I was at the ENT in in Canada, and I knew it looked so messed up. And he was like, it's perfectly fine. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, uh-huh. look at this. Like <laughs> there's literally uh-huh. like there's literally no room for air to breathe in my sinuses. My turbinates are like massive. I, d- I just feel like what did these doctors learning in medical school? If like I can read
2: a CT better than an ENT can. So um anyway. So this, so this surgery, you say, you know, you know, you're like, I feel this in my intuition. I know I need to do this. So you, so you get down to Atlanta, you have the surgery and how are you feeling after the surgery? Was there a turn in the oh, journey? Yeah.
1: yeah. And it was not an easy journey, by the way, getting down there and everything. Um, Cause we had to stay there for two months. Cause he said to me like, look, this cannot fail. This needs to be successful. So I had to stay down there for two months and have a follow-up every week. So I, it wasn't immediate that I felt better. But when I was taking the oral antifungals, like I could literally feel the mold dying in my gut. It was like a monster in my gut, like dying. It was crazy. So you're having Um, die-off
2: symptoms as well on top of your actual symptoms that you're dealing with daily.
1: Yeah. And I'd never like, I've never had die-off symptoms like this. Like it was crazy, but it felt kind of good because something was actually happening for once. Right. And, um, like it was just very slow, like it hasn't been perfect. I've had, I don't know, like you guys probably know how hard it is to live in like low mold environment. It's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And That's um, cool. yeah, so like I have to make sure that I'm, I have to ERMI test every four months. I have to make sure that everything is ex- exceptionally clean. If my ERMI goes up, I have to get an inspector, find out where it is, remediate it like the average amount of remediations that I have to do is two every year. I just expect that to happen and I just stay on top of it, but it's so difficult. And so I'm just waiting. So like now it's been a year since my surgery. I had my surgery on January 20, um, 27th and it's been a year. I'm working full time at Oracle, which is a huge tech company. And I'm, you know, it's a pretty intense job. I'm as a consultant I can't believe like I'm able to work full
2: time. It's been almost four months now. So you've had, so it's almost a year since the surgery and now you're working. So someone with someone finally saying, yes, you have mold, let's treat it. We're not going to fail. Now, here you are about a year later working a full-time job in a tech company, which is not an easy area of work whatsoever. It's very demanding. So the difference from one year ago with the help from your community and with this doctor who said, I'm not going to let you fail is like night and day. Yeah. And I imagine you still have a ways to go, even though you progressed totally. so much. But so I, now-
1: have like a, I have a game plan, you know, like I have a roadmap of what I need to do to get to a hundred percent. And I, at, last this time last year, I didn't think it was possible to get to 100%. I just wanted to stop feeling like I was dying every day. And now I have hope like, Oh, my God, like, I think that I might get my life back. Like I can dream again. Whereas like, I don't know, you guys probably know this, or I've heard this from so many others that when you are like, one of the coping me- uh, mechanisms for people with chronic illness is you just stop dreaming, you yes. stop, you don't envision a future you just focus on today you literally because yeah that's all you can focus on is one day you don't it's it hurts too much to think about the dreams
2: that you Mm -hmm. would have or could have or have that may not happen yes So, so now you have a plan so what does that plan look like from here on out that you know of so far, because I know it's difficult to project too far into the future.
1: Yeah. um, So at this point, I'm still like, the whole idea is that you have to kind of stay on some sort of antifungal, whether that's natural or pharmaceutical, and you work with your doctor to kind of see where you're at. But you stay on them until you have no more mycotoxins in your urine and also I'm tracking like the shoemaker inflammatory markers for mold and you know waiting till those completely normalize. And once um, all of my mold symptoms or mold markers, rather are normal and look good, I'm gonna start B venom therapy and I'm gonna do that for two to three years and that should cover the immune... disrupt. The great thing about bee venom therapy is it's so multifaceted, like it really modulates your immune system back to normal. It gets at every single co-infection based on um, other people's labs that I've been able to see in the past. It's able to essentially eradicate Lyme, which I haven't seen like herbs or antibiotics do that. They just kind of put you into remission. And um it also degranulates mast cells, which is great because we have so many issues with histamine, we have so many issues with hives and that kind of thing, and just certain allergies. <laughs> yeah. So you get it. It's just um it's there's just so many aspects to Lyme that it it helps with. Um so that's kind of the path that I've chosen as of right now. Of course, like everything you know, this journey, like everything, things come up, life happens. But um, that's like the broad strokes and general idea.
2: And so now, from where you were before you started treating, or you you knew there was something going on that was physiological, how much of a percentage do you feel like you're better now while you're working and continuing to treat?
1: Yeah. You're that's like a, a hard
2: day, right. We all do. And and I feel yeah. you to get there and and I believe it. But but yeah, but, where, so. where are you right now?
1: Um that's such a hard question. Like I can't I can't put a percentage on it because I think I like everybody when they start treating Lyme is at a different level of disease. And I think I was very much like so sick with mold um more than more than the average person with Lyme that I've spoke and I've spoken to a lot of people with Lyme and I don't I've only known like a couple people that I've sent to Dr. Dennis that actually needed to go actually just one um I would say if I had to put a percentage on it I would say like I'm maybe 50 percent better but because I was so sick it feels so good to just be
2: At 50%, you know, you have a ways to go, but, and you know, it's difficult to quantify because at the same time, you also are so used to not feeling well. So it's kind of hard to quantify. And I would say, you know, to people, the way I would describe it is, so I started at lower than ground zero. So when I got to ground zero, I felt like, oh, I'm doing great, but I still had a hundred stories to go at the same time. So is that kind of similar to how, how you would describe it?
1: Yeah, that was well said. That was, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I just feel like I'm somewhat normal, but it's, it's amazing. Cause like, you know, every little win feels amazing. Like I was able to do, you know, an intense workout the other day and actually recover within a few days, which is crazy. Like I didn't work out for a long time. And now I like, you know, I exercise, I mean, I don't know, maybe four days a week, because I know it's like important to my recovery. And just all these little things like being able to enjoy my time with family, whereas this time last year, like, I was in emerge on Christmas Eve. So, you know, it's just, it's kind of night and day.
2: You would say you're also having a little bit more of a social life again as well. Yeah. Between your work and spending time with your family.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think being able to work has been really nice because I feel like I have... I don't know what it is exactly, but maybe it's like a sense of purpose and then also being able to interact with other people. Cause I love people. Like I'm so, I'm such an extrovert and the past year or two years, I've been completely alone. So that's, that was hard for me. Cause I love talking to people. I mean, I was a server. Like I was literally like, it was my job. Right. Um,
2: well, so happy. yeah. Yeah. Well, your story is is incredible and so and it's gonna touch so many people where they're gonna feel like, oh gosh, this sounds just like my story in one way or another. I know I've felt that listening to you. So what advice would you give to others who are not sick now but are aware that Lyme exists and would like to try to take some precautions to protect themselves and their families and the people that they love?
1: Because yeah.
2: like 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 me, like you, there was no tick fight, but they're out there and they're out there more and more as we're hearing with the weather changing and the, and the climate getting warmer. So how would you tell someone, you know, this is what I would do to make sure that prevention is in the forefront of your mind when it comes to Lyme?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And like, we can't, be 100 percent perfect i mean life happens but i think you know the obvious things are like if you're going outdoors make sure to wear like long pants make sure to wear a hat make sure to check yourself all of those obvious things but also like i think um if you do get bit there's like you know steps you can take save the tick send it in for testing tickreport.com. Um, make sure that you've I think the biggest thing is you have to advocate for yourself and you have to take care of your health even in our world today even if you are healthy you need to take care of your health you need you need to like be in charge you need to be in charge of the ship and running the ship and I think honestly I think it's really important to get labs like so um for the U.S. folks listening, um, there's a service in the U.S. I believe it's called Function Health by Dr. Mark Hyman. You, You can pay something like 600 bucks and you get literally like every single test that I would recommend getting along with a Lyme test to check yourself. You can literally check yourself every single year to see if you've been exposed. Right. And you can, you know, make sure to advocate for yourself for the proper treatment because I know, I mean, my dad had a tick on him a few weeks ago. Um, and I just saw it on, on his side and, um, you know, we, we got it tested everything. And I told him like, you need to get on, (laughs) I wanted him on like a month of doxycycline. Um, and they wanted, they gave him one pill they gave him one pill of doxycycline. And so I was like, no, and you kind of got to know what's available to you. So we went on like an online, you know, um, what is it? Like when you connect with a doctor online and we used, yeah, telehealth, we used Maple Health for that. And I told the doctor like, hey, we need two weeks of doxycycline, please. And thank you. Yeah, You You need to be in charge. And if the first doctor says, no, go to another one. If the second one says, no, go to another one. And don't, it's it's annoying. It takes work, but your health is worth it.
2: So what I'm hearing is advocate for yourself, Mm -hmm. listen to your intuition. And for those of you who are listening, who are not dealing with a chronic illness, make sure to take care of your health or make your health a priority now before something happens.
1: Yeah. And I think more of an emphasis needs to be put on labs. I think we have access to labs especially you you guys in the states you have access to labs at really affordable prices just you know get find a way to get the requisition and get comprehensively tested every single year
2: go see go to your doctors yes get a well check go to your doctors if something is off get some labs done and advocate for yourself yeah
0: heidi Mary, this is this has really been a really, really beautiful podcast. We're actually getting close to the two hour mark. Uh, and I know it probably doesn't feel like that to you too, nor to me, but i am I am looking at the at the clock, and it really has been a really, really powerful podcast. So Heidi, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your your really busy schedule and your really busy life to share this very powerful uh, story. I. I'm sorry you had to cry, but I quite frankly have to thank you for being willing to cry and be that vulnerable because it was really moving to um not just us who are interviewing you, but I know there'll be people crying on the podcast when they listen to the podcast. So thank you so much, uh, Maria Mooney for, for being my uh, my wonderful po- co-host again. And uh, and and I want to thank everybody i who-
2: time hearing the inspiring stories about their line warriors, like Heidi, thank you so much for being so transparent. Hearing your story makes me believe in the power uh, that we have as individuals to take control of our lives and our health. So thank you.
1: Thank you both for having me. It was it was just like such a pleasure to share my story. And I think um, what you guys are doing to bring awareness to this community and just to pro- provide value, I think everyone's stories help one another. So I really appreciate it.